scripture that I'll preach from today is 2 Samuel 5, 17 through 25. I want you to follow along in your own Bibles or the Bibles in your seats, page 355. Before I read it, I'll just comment and say that there's an account of, of a battle that takes place. But there's more that is going on here. There is a spiritual nature to what is happening with David and even in this very battle. I want you to be listening especially for that as I read this passage. 2 Samuel 5, I'll begin with verse 17. Now, when the Philistines heard that they had anointed David king over Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David. David heard of it and went down to the stronghold. The Philistines also went and deployed themselves in the valley of Raphaim. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hand? The Lord said to David, Go up, for I will doubtless deliver the Philistines into your hand. So David went to Baal-perazim, And David defeated them there, and he said, The Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a breakthrough of water. Therefore, he called the name of that place Baal-perazim. And they left their images there, and David and his men carried them away. Then the Philistines went up once again and deployed themselves in the valley of Raphaim. Therefore, David inquired of the Lord and said, David inquired of the Lord, and he said, You shall not go up. Circle around behind them, and come upon them in front of the mulberry trees. That shall be when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the mulberry trees. Then you shall advance quickly, for then the Lord will go out before you to strike the camp of the Philistines. David did so, as the Lord commanded him. And he drove back the Philistines from Geba as far as Gezer. Knowing what to do is one thing. Knowing how to do it, knowing how to proceed is another thing. When the Philistines invaded Israel, David knew that God had appointed him king for a reason and that Part of the duty of a king was to protect the people of God, to lead them in and out as they go to battle. Earlier in the chapter, the people even described it this way. They said that as king, that he would lead them out before the people to to fight against their enemies. But in this passage, God says something uh, very different. He reveals that He is the one who goes out before his people. That he is the one who fights for his people. This, in turn, reveals the spiritual nature of the battle that David faced and will help us to understand the spiritual nature of our Christian life as well. This, in turn, will underline the strategic importance of prayer Seeking God's direction and provision for all that you do. That, with that in mind, I want you to hear that God goes out before you. 
to engage in the Christian life and in, in its spiritual warfare. Therefore, pray for his direction and provision in all that you do. I want to begin by just describing the battle. There are some things here that are important to understand. But uh, remember that I'm going to go next to show you the spiritual nature of what is happening here. Let's look at the battle and some of the details there. When David became king, he united the tribes of Israel. Remember, they had been divided for uh, over seven years. They had been involved in civil war, and so all of their interest was focused inward. But when David united them, they immediately became a powerful nation and a threat to the other nations around them in the region. The Philistines, during this time of civil war, had, had... left them alone. God was restraining them. They could have used this as an opportunity to to come in while they were in disarray and to have wreaked havoc on them. But now that, uh, that they heard that their old enemy David was king, they decided they needed to do something about that. So they wake up to the danger and they invaded They pour across the border and advance along a broad valley in Israel called the Valley of Rephaim. In response, David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hand? It's an interesting phrase, isn't it? That David inquired of the Lord, and that deserves a little bit of explanation. In David's day, God had given them a provision to help them to know his will. They lived in a different period. They didn't have the Bible like we have it. There were a few books of the Bible that were written and were taught from, but they didn't have all of Scripture like we do today. And so the Lord made some provision for that. They could inquire of him. What that meant is that they could go to the high priest and ask questions of God through the high priest, who would use what was called the Urim and the Thummim. We're not exactly sure what those are, but uh, scholars suspect that they were something uh, akin to dice that would give you answers yes and no. So you could ask the, ask the Lord uh, his direction. Sometimes the Lord would give yes or no answers, or the Lord would sometimes speak through the priest or through the prophets. I call this a temporary provision because, as I'll make a point later, what we have today is much fuller. We actually have the fullness of revelation given to us. So when we inquire of the Lord, we go to him through his word and through prayer. This is what David did. He went and he inquired of the Lord. He asked for direction, and he asked God to grant him success. The Lord's answer was, go up, for I will doubtless deliver the Philistines into your hand. Which is exactly what happened. David went out with his armies. He fought against the Philistines and defeated them. But that wasn't the end. It goes on and says that the the Philistines came once again. They regrouped, as it were, and they 
came and assembled and deployed in the Valley of Rephaim again. So, once more, David went and inquired of the Lord. But this time, God told him something different. He said, you shall not go up. Instead, circle around behind them. Come upon them in front of the mulberry trees, and it shall be when you hear sound of marching in the tops of the mulberry trees. Then you shall advance quickly, for then the Lord will go out before you to strike the camp of the Philistines. David followed God's directions. He attacked in something that we might call an ambush. The Lord did fight for Israel. The text doesn't tell us exactly how that happened, but In other instances, we have seen that the Lord would bring confusion on an army or that they would see or hear that there might be another army coming against them. That sounds like what might have happened here. They hear an army marching against them, and so they turn and they run away only to run right into the position where David was. The ambush takes place, and David gains a great victory. So there are two battles, and David, in both times, inquires. He makes a request. There are two answers, but the same result. God gave victory to David over the enemies. Now, you could read this passage and explain it in this, in a sense, generic way i've described what happened but there are some clues here that tell you that there is something more happening that there is a spiritual nature to the battles that david faced i want to call your attention to three of the indications of the spiritual nature of david's job as a king here in these battles These are going to guide us then to understand how we go about our lives as well. For we too are involved in a Christian life, a battle that is spiritual in nature. The first thing is, one of the most obvious things, is that David prayed. David prayed for direction and success. Well, why did he pray? Because the battle belonged to the Lord, not to David. The battle belonged to the Lord, not to his military might, his ingenious battle plans that he drew up, uh, or the, uh, the, the strength of the armies that he had assembled around them. The battle belonged to the Lord, and so David went directly to him, and he inquired, he asked, what shall I do, and how shall I do it? I can't help but remember here David's words when he went to, fought against, against, to fight against the giant Goliath. David said to Goliath, you come at me with a sword and a spear and with the javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. And then a little bit later, 
that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all of this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. This was David's conviction. His conviction was that there was a physical battle that was taking place, but that the results and the direction of it belonged to God. And so he prayed that God's will would be done. He prayed that God would guide him and grant success. As I say it that way, I hope that you might remember that there is one greater than David that David represents. See, in the Old Testament, David is a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ himself. And you might remember that as Jesus went to the cross, as Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he went out into the Garden of Gethsemane. He prayed. Why, indeed, would the Son of God pray? Well, because the battle belongs to the Lord. And the Son understood what the Father had ordained for him to do. And Jesus, in asking for the Father's direction, humbled himself before the Father. And he knew the agony that he would go through, the agony in body and in soul to accomplish our redemption. And he submitted to the will of the Father. Those famous words that Jesus prayed ring throughout all of history. Not my will, but your will be done. The battle belongs to the Lord, and so Jesus prayed. As do we. I'm going to gather that just a moment together. The second indication of the spiritual nature of this battle is that the Philistines fought not just against David and Israel. They also understood the battle to be a contest between their gods and the God of Israel. They were very in tune to the spiritual nature of what was happening here. And you can tell this from verse 21. Here it describes the Philistines, when they were defeated, that they left their images there in the field of battle as they ran away, as if they couldn't be be weighed down by these, uh, these wooden and stone idols that they thought were going to fight for them. Now, it's not uh, an unknown occurrence. Earlier in the book of 1 Samuel, we read how the children of Israel went into battle and they brought along the Ark of the Covenant And this was a point where God was chastising uh, the Israelites and they 
They lost that battle, and the Philistines captured the ark. And they thought they had captured Israel's God. And there's this almost humorous description of what they did. They took the Ark of the Covenant. They, they put it in the temple of their God as spoils of war, as if Israel's God was humiliated in front of the Philistine gods. But you might remember, if you go back and read this, the statue of the Philistine gods overnight fell down in front of the Ark of the Covenant. Just what every god needs, it needs people to come and prop it up, right? <laughs> they come in and they prop up their god. That's why I say it's kind of humorous. <laughs> and overnight it fell down again, and its head and its hands broke off. Well, what good were those gods in this occasion? They weren't any good again. For the Lord rose up to fight against the false gods, the Philistines. The battle is the Lord's. These so-called gods of the nations around really are nothing. They are carved wood and carved stone the people that made them bow down and say, you made us. Oh God, fight for us. But even though they have ears, those idols can't hear. Even though they look strong, they can't fight. They're worthless. And God is the only God And in this instance, he proves it for Israel, for the Philistines, for us. We can see that there is only one God. It's said in many different places, but in Isaiah 45, it said said in a memorable way, God speaks, I am the Lord and there is no other. There is no God besides me. When the Philistines brought their gods to the battle, The one true God fought one. Here I'm reminded once more of how David and his experience foreshadow the coming of the great Savior, Jesus Christ. In his ministry, Jesus reveals himself as God himself, the second person of the Trinity, Son of God. And he comes and he reveals that there is only one God and that there is a purpose for his coming, that he has come to fight against the enemy Satan and to fight in a way that demonstrates that his is the victory. And Jesus Christ gained that victory, especially when he died on the cross, fulfilling the promise that was made all the way back at the very beginning of the Bible, when sin entered the world through the serpent Satan, through our first parents, Adam and Eve, God came and spoke judgment against sin, and he spoke a promise of deliverance, a promise that Jesus would come. He speaks of Jesus as the seed of the woman, 
seed of of Eve, uh, some uh, would would eventually be the Lord Jesus Christ, who would crush the head of the serpent. Jesus' heel would be bruised, head of the enemy would be crushed. The battle belongs to the Lord. And David, as a third way of showing the spiritual nature, gives all credit for the victory to God. He praised him. David didn't take any glory to himself. In fact, even as I was describing the battle, uh, the, the words that come naturally to describe it is that David won a great victory. But it really isn't David's victory. And he says as much. He says, the Lord has broken through. And he said this in, the, in uh, memorializing this victory. He named the place. Kind of like we have different battlefields that we memorialize. Uh, Gettysburg Battle or the uh, many other battles that have names to them. He named this place Baal Perazim, which literally means the Lord has broken through. And a broken through like the breaching of a dam. That's what David says here. The Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a breakthrough of water. If you just think about that, if you've ever seen videos or pictures of a dam that fails... And think of the water breaking through the breach and how devastatingly powerful that is. There's nothing that can stand in its path. This is what uh, David said of the Lord, that God is the one who broke through in this victory, that God has swept away his enemies. Once more, think of Jesus Christ and the victory that he has won. When Jesus acts to bring salvation, there is no one who can stay his hand. When he claims and rescues a people to belong to himself, the enemy cannot turn that aside. You are delivered by the work of Jesus Christ. God breaks through. He is the one who described himself as going out before him, which is the fourth and final spiritual indication of this battle. This is run through all the things I've said, but just in summary, the battle is the Lord's. In the first battle, God did indeed use David. David went up and in an open way battled against, against the Philistines. He and his army were the instrument of the victory. But in the second battle, God literally went out before them. He literally went out and fought for them. I like to uh, try to imagine that scene of David going around behind the armies of the Philistines, of waiting in uh, in what must, must have been the hiding place of this mulberry grove. And listening for this sign that God was at at work, 
that God was fighting. He said, listen for the sound of armies in the, in the tops of the trees. And it kind of makes the hair stand up on the back of your neck, doesn't it? Imagine being the soldiers waiting and listening and hearing the movement of armies, the sound of battle in the tops of the trees. And going out and finding the armies of the Philistines running away, scared, running towards them, right into their battle lines that were set up. It was the Lord who went before them. Here I'm reminded once more of Jesus Christ. For he has gone where we cannot. Sinners, you and I deserve God's punishment. And we would go there were it not for Jesus. That's what we deserve. But Jesus went before us. And he took our place on the cross. And he suffered the wrath of the Father for us. And Hebrews says that in doing so, that he has gone before us into the very throne room of God the Father Almighty. And he lives there to mediate for us. God goes before us in this victory. God goes before you to engage in the Christian life. This passage and what I've described of Jesus confirms the spiritual nature of the battle. Need I remind you that Jesus went out into the wilderness to pray and fast and there was tempted by Satan. Then one of his trusted men, Peter, Uh, suggested, uh, God, you will not go to the cross. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. When he died on the cross, it was indeed in fulfillment of that promise that he would crush the head of the serpent. Paul understands this and uses the language of spiritual warfare as he describes the Christian life. Not that we are using weapons of this world. Don't think of battles or warfare in that way. But think of the spiritual aspect of the battle. And I read this earlier. I read from Ephesians chapter 6. Let me remind you just of a few words there. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. That's the Christian life. That's what we are engaged in, whether it be in in times where it is very clear that there are spiritual warfare at, at, at 
at stake here, when you're wrestling against temptation in your life, when you are, are crying out to God for the souls of your children, when you're praying for your community or for your country, these are big things. And we say, oh yeah, we can see that this is a spiritual warfare that we are involved in. But the spiritual nature of the Christian life extends not just to those big things, but down into the most intimate and common details of your life. Every day is a spiritual battle. Every day you face decisions to love the Lord and to put to death those things that are part of your sins, of your past, and the habits that have, have bound you up. And every day you face a decision to, to love your wife and to be humble in, with, with him or with her. You face decisions about how you're going to carry yourself at work, how the light of the gospel will shine through you. Every day has a spiritual nature to it, not just the days in which it is plainly a battle. And so there are implications that come from this passage. I'm going to give you the two that rise to the top here, to inquire of the Lord and to pray. Now, I told you what it was for David to inquire of the Lord, that that temporary fashion of asking God's direction through the Urim and the Thummim, but we have something so much better. I find some people who say, well, I wish I, I could get a, this yes-no uh, answer for God by rolling the dice or drawing straws or something like that. That was for a time of infancy, for immaturity for God's people. We live in a time of maturity, We have the fullness of revelation. God has given us his spirit so that we could understand that word. We live after the coming of Jesus Christ and the fullness of revelation that comes in him, as Hebrews 1 describes. We live in the brightness of day. And so our task in inquiring of the Lord is to go meet with the Lord in his word, to go and to read the Bible, to ask the Spirit to help us to understand it and to apply it into all of the decisions of life, the big ones and the little ones. They are all part of the spiritual nature of the Christian battle. Choir of the Lord, that means using your Bible, knowing it, becoming equated with it, in the big picture and in the small picture. Understand that this book is about Jesus and about his coming to save us from our sins. Then that it tells you how to live as a follower of Jesus Christ. Take that direction to heart. And then pray. Pray about what to do. Pray about how to do it. 
pray for wisdom, pray for success. I want you to notice here that David prayed in both instances of of these battles. It's remarkable that he does so because you might assume, as, as I tend to, that, well, David prayed and God told him, go fight the Philistines, I will be with you. That you would assume that the Philistines come again, that would be the answer. And so I, I wouldn't pray, because I think I know the answer. But that's not what David did, he prayed. He prayed for direction and for success. And I'm struck by how my lack of prayer betrays an idol of my own heart. The idol that I take into the battle with me. The idol is really me. I know what to do. I'm clever enough. I can sort this out only to find that that idol cannot save. I cannot save. It is God alone who saves, and the battle belongs to him. It's always helped me to think of prayer in the way that John Piper describes it. He says we've come to think of prayer as if we were in the... In the den, reclining on the lazy boy with the remote in one hand, clicking through the channels, maybe watching a football game, and a phone in the other hand, and we call our wife for goodies in the den. Can you bring me a pop, or can you make some popcorn? We think of that as prayer, that we're asking God to bring us goodies in the den. Piper says, rather, prayer is like being on the front lines of a raging battle and using a walkie-talkie to call in for support and rescue. That is the nature of prayer, the Christian life. The Christian life is indeed a spiritual battle. Weapons that we use are not the weapons of this world. As Paul also said, they are mighty weapons in God. We're pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. I urge you to approach the Christian life in this way. The enemy has invaded. The enemy has attacked you. The enemy tempts you. There are idols that are in your heart that maybe you haven't even identified. Approach your life as service to God. Approach it knowing that God does use us as his instruments, but the work and the victory is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's. 
When tempted to do things in your own strength, remind yourself that the Lord goes before you. And reminding yourself, inquire and pray. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, you are our refuge and strength. You are a help in our time of need. The Lord of hosts is with us. Father, I pray that we would not be afraid in this present darkness, but instead that we might understand that you are indeed our God and that our Savior Jesus Christ has gone before us and has battled and defeated Satan. That you equip us day in and day out to stand against the wiles of the devil. So, O Lord, I pray that you would help us to recognize that you go before us. And in recognizing that, that we would cry out to you. That we would indeed inquire, that we would go to your word to understand what you have said about who you are and what you would have us to do. And as we inquire... May we pray. May we be a people of prayer. May we be individuals and a corporate body who loves to gather to come. Come to you, praying that you would be with us, as you would send us out to accomplish your purposes, as you would equip us to do every good work that you have for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Close by singing Psalm 18, the G selection, Psalm 18G. Just a couple words that you'll notice as we sing this. The end of the psalm in Stanza 31, he says, He gives his king deliverance. His love on David he will pour. Upon his own anointed one and his descendants evermore, his descendants evermore. This is the Lord's battle and, and his blessing to us, to the greater King, Jesus. Let's stand and sing Psalm 18G.